I don't know. Causing for dramatic effect. Yes. <laughs> we do that in the industry. Right before I get stabbed by what? some sort of ghost child <laughs> that's haunting this little music box. The little music box I gave you? Yeah. I'm sure it's mass produced, but I'm pretty sure it's haunted too. It It is haunted with the ghost of Edith Pilaf. Is there a name right? Pf, I think. Edith Pf. 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 There you go. Haunted by her. So if you hear singing, it's not Tendy. (laughs) He might come in here and make an appearance. I don't know. (laughs) It seems like every time when like I'm recording, he gets the most vocal. Right. And is in here just like meow, 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 meow. Yeah, yeah, he he come, he knows you're you're doing a show and he wants in. Mm-hmm. He's just like Yeah. It's the cat version of like it's Britney, bitch. Or yeah, drunk guy at the bar, I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wants everybody to know what game he is watching by screaming about it. <laughs> He's everybody's yeah. favorite guy. <laughs> Why is every bar a sports bar? It's not fair. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the psychology. I guess people enjoy it more when they're drinking. I don't know. Archaeologists love to drink. And I feel like if you put museum files on in there or something, they'd be they'd be pretty interested in coming to your bar. Maybe. But it's not big old sexy men in fucking tight clothes uh, hitting each other. That's totally mm. what archaeology is. I don't know what you thought it was. But... <laughs> you know, You learn something new every day. I would say that that is basically my profession, yes. <laughs> big, big academic dog piles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. I like it. Lots of sweaty guys in flannels, for sure. And well, speaking... um, um, safety jackets. It's the sa- sexy safety jackets we all wear. They do look very good. I mean, they don't leave a lot to the imagination. But, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I love the bagginess. Ooh. Mm-hmm, so nice. mm-hmm. I like what's under there. I don't know. The reflective know. tape goes right under my boobs. <laughs> it makes me look like my my honkers are humongous. <laughs> They're coming through, everybody. Watch out. That's right. Get out of my way. <laughs> well, speaking of archaeology, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris. And one would be the loneliest number if I wasn't joined by our good friend, Emily Seabold. Yay! <laughs> it's me. What's up? Live from I know. Rollins. Rollins, Utah? Wyoming. Wyoming, oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Live in my hotel room, yeah. Wyoming, why, why people from Wyoming are like, what, you didn't know that? Fucking idiot. Utah, you think we are? <laughs> no idea. But I, I did look around... For things in Rollins and uh, I saw a thing for an open mic and then the first review said that the place was quote unquote scary I Probably know right oh, like I'm intrigued go on I feel, I feel like <laughs> scary places don't do open mics or at least they don't last long yeah I probably wouldn't last long Maybe go survey the scene. What's up, Rollins? Maybe maybe they were just very like uppity people. Like this place is scary. Look at it around. (laughs) Maybe 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 they have taxidermy everywhere. Maybe Rollins fucks. I don't know yet. Hmm. 
Well, you have to report back. I will report back. <laughs> so we had planned to get this episode out the weekend of Halloween, but Heather unfortunately got COVID and was laid up and is still recovering. Oh. Uh, so we'll we'll be releasing this episode uh, episode after Halloween. No, poor Heather. Yeah, I know, poor mm. Heather. Yeah, it, she got it pretty pretty bad. It was a rough one, but she's she's doing better slowly. You know, everybody pour a little out for Heather. She didn't die. She just got COVID real bad. Yeah, it's it's a bummer because Halloween's like her favorite time of year. Like she goes all out, man. She's yeah, you know yard like looks crafting, amazing. decorating. Yeah, I mean, I'm, she got it done, but um, you know, yeah, it was it was a rough Halloween for her. So, you know, pour one out for Heather. This one's for you, Heather. <laughs> so today we'll be discussing the history behind Halloween, namely the Celtic tradition of Samhain. Some people say Samhain, which is how it's spelled. Um, but from everything I've seen or read, it's it's Samhain or some sort of variation of that. Yes, interesting. I've heard it said and then also seen the word and been like, what? Yeah, actually, Maya just came by, um, our, our friend Maya. And um, she, I told her what the episode was about, and she said Sam Hain, and I had to be that. They're like, "Oh well, actually, <laughs> it's okay." Maya wants to know that. Yeah, she seemed very excited, as I think a lot of our witchy friends might be. <laughs> it is that time of year. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get cracking then, huh? Crackety crack. What you got for me, Chris? Tell me about it. Well, well. Uh, my knuckles didn't crack. Never mind. One did. <laughs> I heard a little. <laughs> I just heard a little. That was one. Pop. <laughs> well, that's good enough. I'll take it. My rest crispy fingers. <laughs> so Samhain was a festival slash ritual celebrated by the ancient Celts around the 31st of October, halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. It is believed that the festivities could last up to three days, but the night of October 31st and into November 1st marked the transition between the year's lighter half and into the darker half. Okay, so we we got to bring that back. Halloween needs to last at least three days. Christmas gets like two months. It's ridiculous. Give me at least three days for Halloween. I know. That's like just the, the trying to homogenize Christianity all over the country, mm-hmm. all over the world. It's just unfair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to that at the end of the episode. <laughs> so some believe Samhain might have represented the Celtic New Year, as the time of light falls into darkness, and as the Celts believe that the world started in darkness, Samhain would have represented the end of that year and the return to darkness. So it's you know it's that delineation between you know from the rest of the good year and then into the hard times, which is the winter. So Samhain most likely predates the Celts' arrival to Ireland around 2,500 years ago. I've seen some dates where they say it's 1,000 BCE where they arrived in Ireland. Um, that's kind of been up for debate, but, um, you know, roughly speaking, people say around 2,500 years ago. People as a whole or just the Celts? Just, just these these certain kinds of Celts, because Celts, you know, are, are a large group of people that were kind of in different parts of Europe. So some went to places like Ireland, but some stayed in, you know, Gaul, which is modern day France. Um, There's even a part of Spain where Celts were 
uh, supposed to have been, which is Galicia, mm. which is uh, kind of, I think, some of the roots of like Gaelic. Interesting. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we'll get to that a little bit later of how, you know, obviously when you have different groups of a, you know, of, of a similar kind of peoples, you'll have core beliefs and kind of core um, ideas. But, you know, there'll be different mutations, uh, you know, depending on region and communities. Right. So mm-hmm. they'll they'll kind of put their own little twists on things most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Finding archaeology all the time. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of makes it interesting, but also can make things, you know, kind of hard to flush out, like if it was or wasn't within this, you know, kind of core uh, group it's the of mystery people. that draws me back to the field every day, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the mysteries of life. It's all dirty. Oh, yes, the dirt, too. It's definitely the dirt. <laughs> So when the Celts arrived, they would have, over time, adopted some of the indigenous practices and sacred sites that were being used in Ireland. Because there were, you know, early Paleolithic people in Ireland before the Celts arrived. I had always assumed, but honestly, I don't know a lot about European archaeology. Well, we really don't know a lot about them. Um, You know, it's they're they're still very mysterious to us. Um, You know, we've picked up on some things and, and some of their you know, practices and beliefs sort of got assimilated with the Celts that arrived. Um, and so there might be a melding of those. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're very mysterious to us still. Like many cultures who deal with dramatic seasonal changes, the time around Samhain would have been a time when people would be preparing for the coming winter. They would harvest the crops, livestock would be put up or slaughtered to prepare them for the coming winter, and feasts would be held to cook and eat the foods that would not keep well. And, you know, that's why we get all those sort of end of the year um, into winter, big, big festivals or, or um, you know, just just a lot of food being prepared because not everything's going to keep and you need to eat it. Yeah, very important. Also, it is a way um, uh, it's called reciprocity. It is a way for communities to uh, like establish alliances and gift couples with things. And like in the Americas or North America is called potlatch and the festival of like giving back when you have a lot and stuff like that you know some things we could probably come back to a little bit some good ideas for sure (laughs) and i think it would have been really important during this time because you know as you're entering the hard times the coldness of winter it's sort of the last you know big big outburst of warmth and and giving and and being in togetherness before the hard times So it would have probably meant even more. Yeah, God, I can't imagine like a, a glacial winter in Ireland. Yeah, nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah, pretty tough. You need a, a lot of animal fur, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. So the Celts believe that the time of Samhain was a time when the connection to the spirit world was more malleable. So their beliefs from what we can surmise was that the spirit world ran concurrent with the human world. And Samhain would have been an auspicious time as the thin curtain that keeps our worlds mostly separate would be open and allow spirits of all intents to pass through. This in-between spaces or places, or what we would call liminal spaces, was an important idea to the Celts and many other cultures. You know, that's why things like thresholds, uh, shores along waterways and oceans, or, you know, or even 
the time around sunset and sunrise, you know, they hold so much significance. It's this transition from one place to another or the sort of like contrasting worlds. Yeah, yeah. Dawn and dusk is, is spooky. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think uh, actually I think we talked about in our man, long time ago in the human sacrifices episode, we were talking about some sites in um, in the Middle East. They found children or other people buried underneath doorways or at certain different kinds of thresholds because that does hold such a spiritual significance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that does happen all over the world, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I bet there's plenty of sites in the Americas oh, where yeah. you'll find at least some similar things. Yeah, yeah, in the Andes, it was like a blessing or good luck. Uh, for, forgive me, I can't quite remember its meaning, but you, you put a fetal or... Yeah, fetal llama or baby, like a infant llama under the front porch, under the doorway. I don't think they had porches. It was the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> under the porch while I'm playing my banjo with my hound dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thinking of uh, you know my own, my own area. <laughs> you know my children are under these floorboards. That was, I mean, yeah, it was kind of kind of funny to think about, but like it was, it was the way of the old worlds. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's you could if you're trying to make a modern parallel, you could look at it as people keeping ashes of loved ones in on the mantle or in another place. You know, it's it's, it's keeping that that person or family member still close to you. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's some, you know, uh, spiritual power to that for Definitely. you know a lot of different times and and spirit you know and religions. Definitely. So spirits could be benevolent or malevolent, and trying to appease them would have been an important part of that tradition. Sacrifices and offerings would have been an important part of protecting one's community and self from the dangers of the coming winter. So the Druids, or Celtic priests, would practice divination to utilize this time when the spirit world was more present in our world. It was a stronger connection that they would try to kind of utilize for all the ceremonial practices. The centerpiece of these festivals would have been the Samhain Bonfire, which was a sacred bonfire. And it's said that all the fires would be extinguished on that night and then could only be rekindled from the sacred bonfire. So people all over the community would put out their respective fires. Everybody would congregate to the sacred fire and then everybody would light a torch or get a little bit of the fire to rekindle uh, the fires in their homes or at their hearths. Nice. So it's kind of yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's it's just sort of like everybody's taking a piece of the light of community of community and and you know and, and all of the, of the beliefs and and rituals that kind of surround uh, that. That's night. really cool. You know, um, you know, we did the twenty three and Me thing, and it turns out I'm predominantly French German, and like that, you know, this kind of a lot of these people would have been my peoples. And <laughs> yeah. I I really like that I too enjoy a big old bonfire, and it does make me I feel like it's pretty universal. Feel... Yeah. Oh, now I'll think of it as like being closer to my ancestors. That's cool. Yeah, I feel like there's. I mean, I think in fire in general is a very primal. Um, For sure, I don't, you know, it always feels like yeah, a connection yeah. through human time anyway. But <laughs> it feels next time right. I'm throwing whole logs in the fire, I'll be like, yes, my ancestors said this was. <laughs> Ma'am, you can't do that here at the Walmart. 
What do you mean? I bought this fire pit. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> I bought the fire pit here. I bought the wood here. You're telling me I can't do this? I thought this was a free country, man. So the this sacred fire and the sacrifices and offerings that came with it were to appease the pagan gods and thank them for a successful harvest or just a good year. So as Aaron Mullally writes, I hope I hope I'm saying that right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I think it's Mullally. Mullally? No. No, sorry. No, mm. that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, as Aaron Mullally writes in his piece, Samhain Revival, which is about Samhain in Ireland, quote, it is said that on the night of Samhain, that all fires in Ireland are extinguished, and torches lit from Tlachka fire were carried to seven other nearby hills to illuminate the surrounding countryside. As Tlachka was known as the goddess of the sun, the Samhain fire ceremonies would have been an attempt to recognize or even protect light and warmth against the growing darkness of winter, as well as obviously representing the sun itself. Rituals and ceremonies carried out at Samhain offered people the chance to pray for the return of the sun and gave assurance that it would, in fact, come back, unquote. Ooh. Giving the people a feeling of control. Yeah. Yes, in a very seemingly chaotic world, you know, it's it's the natural world. I mean, I always hate to bring up the Romans, but, you know, I know so much about no you, you don't. Know, that was one of my big <laughs> that was one of my big get big uh you know subjects of study but um you know that was one thing that made the romans so terrifying is that they thought that they could even conquer the sun or earth, earth. you know con i mean conquer everything i mean even the natural world oh, which God, is just a kind of a ridiculous notion from, isn't it yeah kind of yeah it's it's being too big for your earthly britches, I think. <laughs> I always consider them like a cautionary tale, but it is crazy how much of the modern world was shaped by ancient Rome. If, if it it is a wild thought experiment to think if, Dude, if Rome had grown into that superpower. <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of speculation, but I mean, you know, you can really line it up with so many things in the modern Western world. And now, you know, since the Western world is kind of a huge part of the globalization, um, yeah. you know, the the world in general. And it's, it, I mean, it's really wild how much of it kind of stems from that Roman tradition. Ideals, it's it, it just, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get in the weeds here. Get out of the weeds. <laughs> get out of there. But no, but, but back to your point, absolutely right. It's It's trying to find some sort of, I don't know, control or that, you know, I'm not a total vulnerable victim to the world around me. Yeah. Or at least trying to have Some that feeling, feeling, I guess. feeling of taking the power back. You know, and it would be yeah. like a really, I don't know, like a, a self-assuring thing or community-assuring thing to keep fire, like, lit through the winter so that no fire goes out. You know, so it's not hard to restart. You know, just things like that, like give you these little semblances of control over nature and what probably felt like doom every time the sun went down. Absolutely, and and you know, I think we like to really talk about the spiritual and ritualistic aspects of these practices, but you know, we can't we can't also we can't overlook the practical aspects of it, like you just pointed out. I mean, there there was a 
there were practical um, applications for keeping a fire around. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even just a huge communal fire, like you said, so people can, you know, utilize it or bring it back to their hearths or their, you know, houses or so. Yeah. I think that's a important thing that gets kind of buried under the, cause we all love to talk about like the spirituality and the, you know, belief systems of, of these practices. Yeah, it's, uh, this is also a trend in, in North America too. It's interesting how, you know, a few hundred years later, first contact with, with the Americas happens and we think we're so different and we couldn't, you know, we're, our, like our ancestors were doing the exact same things that theirs were doing and like pretty much the same time period of like fire and religion and yeah it was just yeah. just interesting like humans always have more in common than they think <laughs> yeah i i am a huge proponent of that so continuing uh malali quote Likewise, the end of October also could be seen as a time when the natural world was dying. The harvest is finished, plants and trees have died, and livestock have been slaughtered for the winter. Combining these factors together with the disappearing sun, the ancient Celts felt that Samhain was the point in the year in which the world of the living and the spirit world were the closest, unquote. Mm. So you know, it's all the things we've been talking about. You know, it's, it's this, it's a transitional liminal time. And, you know, I mean, as people, winter's hard, people die. Um, you never know if you're going to make it through any given winter or your kids are going to make it through any given winter. So, you know, if we, if we always right, keep in mind like Oregon that Oregon Trail for ancient every peoples, fall. You played Oregon Trail yeah. every <laughs> single fall <laughs> until the spring. Why do all these kids yeah. get dysentery? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, but I, I bring this up a lot, but I think it's always worth bearing you know, keeping in mind is that the ancient world believed that the spirit world and that in na- nature were one in the same, you know, that, that the natural world was, uh, spiritual or, or supernatural in, in many yeah, ways. I'm not completely so I think sure, that's always it, really important to keep in mind. But, um, it's a big, you know, part of Christianity that the earth and heaven are, are different things. And like, what is of this world is not like, of heaven and stuff like that. So it's just like, it used to be mm-hmm. completely different. Like everybody believed that nature and heaven were the same, like kind of thing, like spiritual worlds and where God's God lived was like, it was all involved. That So I think that's more of a modern thing. It might, it might be more of a modern. I, I agree. The split. I would agree. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess you start seeing it when you start really seeing monotheism, be, uh, you go from go from cultish you know um go from a cult to you know a huge uh widespread religion. yeah i'm not sure if that's in the old testament or or not but that would push it back a little bit but yeah interesting, interesting. yeah uh, yeah i mean still yeah so now onto the fun stuff so archaeologically <laughs> there is an important site in ireland that provides us some insight into this ancient festival and its practices The site at the Hill of Ward in County Meath is of great archaeological significance when we try to understand the ancient Celts. So the site at Hill of Ward was was discovered in the 1930s, but no serious excavations happened until 2014. So quite, quite a huge span of time. Crazy! So the team found that the hill was constructed over three phases of time. 
so the earliest layer can be traced back to the Late Bronze Age around 1200 BCE, and the most recent layer would have been around 400 CE, right before the Christianization of Ireland. So it was basically used uh, pretty much up until um, Christianity took a huge foothold and, and mm -hmm. the conversion started happening in earnest. So Tlachka is the pagan name for Hill of Ward, and the roots of the hill's use as a spiritual center begins in its mythology. And it's what language? So that, I believe, is... I don't know what you'd be considered it today. Um, oh, fuck, what do the Irish speak? Gaelic, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of... Uh, uh, I think fan, fans of the show, tell us. You didn't look <laughs> that part up. School us. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sorry, I this is a cool I, word. That's why I, I wanted. To talk. I, I believe it's Gaelic, if if I'm if I'm not mistaken, but I might be completely wrong, and I might be totally butchering the pronunciation. Okay, fair enough. But I'm gonna keep doing it. Chop, chop, chop. Anyway, <laughs> so quoting <Work> Malay. <laughs> so quoting Malayli again. Quote: The Druidess Talachka was a daughter of a sun god named Mogruith, who was said to fly in a machine called the Rothwaramak or rowing wheel that carried the sun across the sky. So very much like like Greek in Greek mythology, Helios would take his chariot across the sky and, and make the transition from, from day to night. Or sorry, from, from night but, to day. Is this story from the time of Christianity or before? No, this is supposed to be earlier before Christianity, as far as we could tell. Okay, yep. just curious. No, it's fine. So a version of the legend tells that Tlachka was attacked and raped by the three sons of her father's mentor, a powerful wizard named Simon Magus. Tlachka then gave birth to three sons, one from each of these three fathers, at the site of the Hill of Ward. According to legend, she died there during no childbirth. Yeah. Jesus. From then, the hill held her name and the circular earthworks visible today are said to have been built to mark her grave with one early source stating that a fortress had been raised on the site, unquote. Mm. And, you know, other sites in the Celtic world could have been tied to other mythological gods or heroes, but the rituals and festivities during Samhain would have probably looked similar from region to region. You know, repackaged a little bit, but basically the same product. Did Does this site have any um, carbon dating or... Uh, so I didn't add any information about like the specific dating methods that they did, um, but I, I would imagine they've done, you know, several different kinds of carbon dating to try to get an accurate read on yeah. the time, you know, and, and of course, maybe not even, you know, not just dating methods, but also, you know, um, any artifacts found, they probably would try to correlate with other ones that they found from the time, uh, you know, I'm sure they... I'm sure they tried to figure it out as closely. I just didn't add that or read it um, or, or read about it too in depth. So, Inquiring archaeologists want to know. I know. I'm a, I'm a hack and a fraud. <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, isn't that why we all become podcasters? That's right. <laughs> I'm not a particularly smart man, but I'm good at parading as one. Mm. Parade on, parader. <laughs> so this site has been excavated and has produced some interesting finds. 
So archaeologists have found large deposits of animal bones, which is a sign of large-scale feasting and butchering. And there is a lack of evidence of day-to-day -day activities, which lends itself to the theory that it was a communal gathering place for rituals and festivals rather than, you know, the spot where people would have lived. So we also find human remains at the site. A child was buried there next to a cache of cow bones, all dating back to roughly 450 CE. So not the farthest back, but they haven't completely um, excavated all the areas around and stuff, which I'll get to in a minute why that's important. Um, are you also going to go over details about like the child body or anything? No? No. Like, I, I was just curious whether they thought it was human sacrifice well, or just or a burial. Well, so I've read some things that some places have some signs of human sacrifice. Um, but with this particular child, without getting into too many details, it was it was at least buried with some care and attention. So, you know, we could assume that it was a child of some importance or, you know, or something like maybe a sacrifice that was... You know, not just a body thrown in a bog, but done with some respect. Um, you know, I, I'm unclear of that, but um, okay. that's that's what we found so far with the child's body. Um, I'm sure there's more information out there on the details. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely try to look into that, though, because that would be interesting. But I did read a place that said human sacrifice might have happened in some areas, but um, I didn't see much evidence of it so maybe i just have to do some further research to find it's okay i just wanted to know if you knew about the the one child skeleton you were talking about. oh yeah no no as far as i know yeah we just think it was maybe some child some sort of child of importance maybe related to upper echelons of the community or you know or or, or for some reason they were buried there and with some care and attention okay um were there like grave goods with the baby um, not a lot of grave goods that I that I know of, um, but again, those are details that I didn't uh, get into. Okay, that's cool. Yep. Sorry, this is what archaeologists want to know. I know. I'm sorry. I try <laughs> to keep this episode short. <laughs> There's a lot I'm not covering here. So. It's okay. It's okay. Go yeah, on. but but very interesting to look into. So you know, after the show, if anybody's interested. There's a lot of cool articles um, that talk more in depth about the Hill of Ward and the other sites around it, because there's actually um, a huge amalgamation of different sites all sort of in this area. So very interesting. So the fascinating thing is that some of the other sites that give us insight into the ancient practices, like Newgrange, date back to 5,000 years ago. So now we're getting like quite a bit back in time of some, you know, some pagan early pagan practices um again we're still very mysterious um but mm -hmm. yes so, i would love to know more about my ancient mysterious ancestors <laughs> i know me too so from what archaeologists have found at other similar sites some believe that there are more tombs and burials around the hill of ward and maybe even a passage tomb and for those of you who are unfamiliar, a passage tomb is a it's, it's a narrow passage with one or more burial chambers around it. So the Bone Valley site, for instance, has more than 40 passage tombs and one of which you can see or sorry. And from one of them, you can see the Hill of Ward or, you know, even from a few of them, you can see the Hill of Ward. So 
These tombs would also be oriented around astronomical events, showing that the Celts had knowledge of astronomy and a knowledge of architecture to build these tombs. So I'm going to quote from Malali again. Quote, Several tombs near the Hill of Ward are aligned with seasonal equinoxes, or the Celtic quarter days that fall between them, one of which is Samhain. For example, New Grange is famous for the illumination of its passage and inner chamber by the winter solstice sun on December 21st. While the Hill of Tara is closely associated with the March 21st spring equinox, and a passage tomb at that site is reputed to be aligned with the Samhain sunrise, unquote. Cool. So many academics and archaeologists believe that if they can find an entrance at the Hill of Ward, it would most likely line up with the sun on the autumn solstice, illuminating the entrance. That would, like nobody just shows up on Halloween morning to check? <laughs> well, I don't know if they've You're actually guessing. found... <laughs> I, th well, I, th I mean, I may be guessing, but I, I think that they're making an observation of where all the other placements of the other passage tombs might be. Um, it, it is a speculation, but um, I feel like they haven't quite done all of the excavating yet. I, oh. There's, It seems like there's still more work to be done. Um, and there might be updates that I'm un, unaware of, um, but kind of seems really to be neat. the yeah. case. Mm -hmm. I love archaeoastronomy. It's, it's just how people tracked these things over time. It's it's beautiful. It's just really weird <laughs> and elegant, kind of. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, go on. No, I, I think so, too. It's it's And it really shows you that they're not, um, like, how advanced in their thinking they were. Yeah. You know, and, and just in observational skills. Mm -hmm. It's pretty incredible. So another bit of archaeological evidence we have of pre-Christian Samhain is from the Kalini calendar. So this is quoting from an article about the calendar. Quote, 2,000 years ago, a bronze sheet about one and a half meters by one meter and five millimeters thickness was broken into small pieces, placed in an earthenware jar, and buried at a site near Kalini in France. So which would have been, modern, you know, what it would have been ancient Gaul. It would mm -hmm. have been a huge place for, for Celts. So it was rediscovered when unearthed in 1897. And the bronze pieces have now been reassembled in a manner of a jigsaw puzzle. Mounted on a board, they revealed a yearly 12-month lunar calendar and its cycles repeated five times. Named the, the Kalini plaque, it is inscribed with words in capital Latin characters. So not Roman names, but purely Celtic core words with added terminations. So considered a most important ancient artifact, it portrays a comprehensive moon calendar, 12 months a year, five days a week, six weeks, a 30-day month. So it's, it's just broken down into, you know, what, what we would almost recognize as a... Nice. You know, yeah, fairly a really calendar. accurate for, you know, people without telescopes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what makes us believe that Samhain was was an ancient Celtic tradition, um, comes from the linguistic roots. So in the calendar, the divisions are named, and the first month is called Samyanos, which is derived from the root Samos, which means summer. It has been posited that Samhain comes from the earlier Gaulish uh, Samyanos. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, we believe it comes from 
that word. Even though the pronunciation's a little different, we would start to see, you know, mutations in the linguistic um, use. Cool. I love linguistics. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's super fun, man. I know. It gets it gets very complicated quickly, though, sometimes. It's true. My God. <laughs> so though they were all Celts around Europe, they came from different parts. So cultural mutations would occur as the different Celtic tribes adopted their own versions of these beliefs. And this also includes those linguist linguistic changes. So that's just a little, you know, some of the evidence that we've gathered to solidify that what Samhain was and what some of the beliefs were and, uh, and what some of the uses for sites and some of the things that we find at those sites were. Yeah, I think I think you're you definitely hitting the nail on the head as far as like what we like what my field counts as like important cultural markers that you could line up with this and, you know, like between equinoxes and solstices and and using archaeoastronomy just to paint that picture. Yeah, I mean, and those and those kind of things are very cross-cultural. You know, we see that in a lot of places. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely just lifted from the hard work of other academics, but um, <laughs> there's a lot out there. I wish I could talk a little more about them. Um, you know, I have to try to keep this episode a little shorter, but um, yeah, it's super fascinating. Um, this is sort of my first foray into... Celtic, Irish, uh, archaeology. So I would love to check out more. So M, do you ever think what would a Celtic Samhain have looked like? I mean, I have. The, ah, yes, I have kind of <laughs> wondered, like, if it is really an ancient tradition, how spooky was it? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> tell me. Tell me. Is it spooky enough to make the hair on the back of my neck stand up? Um... I guess aspects of it could have been very spooky, which is, I think, where we get the spookiness from. Um, Were masks I'll a get thing? That. I'll get to okay, that. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Go on, man. So sites like the Hill of Ward would have not only been a gathering place for festivities, but also an assembly of leaders where grievances, legal disputes, and even alliances would have been forged or resolved. And we see this very similar notion when you read the... Um, uh, when you lead the, the Icelandic sagas, um, you'll you'll see a lot of the same thing. There's certain sites, the All Things, uh, which was a particular site in, in in Iceland, I believe, where the same kind of thing would have happened. Uh, people would have come together, kings, nobles, leaders, and you know everybody would have tried to resolve their grievances or fight a dispute or make alliances. You know, marry off family members. So you, you would probably have had the same thing happening uh, on the out outskirts so preparations for the festival would have included butchering of animals and putting up different kinds of decorations so a community effort to prepare for the celebrations would have been a large part of the days leading up to Samhain on the evening of the festival food and offerings would have been left outside homes and the participants would sometimes dress in costumes often like animals probably mostly like animals Ooh, and recite poems or verses sure, it's in my yep. blood <laughs> None. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they would dance around the fire, playing music to scare away the malevolent spirits. In contrast, they may leave their homes open to allow the spirits of their loved ones past to enter. And wearing costumes was also thought to confuse the dark spirits that may want to invade one's body. 
so the disguise would trick the spirit into passing over and stopping such an intrusion. And since this was a time of connection to the other world, druids would give prophecies or tell fortunes and stories. Nice. The spirit's like, oh God, no, I don't I don't want to be a sexy Kermit the Frog. <laughs> not gonna not gonna inhabit that guy. What a weirdo. Mm, 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 biggie. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, there, I'm sure there's some details I'm leaving out, but that's like the general sense that we get from the festivals. You know, it's it's just uh, communions, obviously the biggest thing, and also what makes the spookiness is the fear of what's going to come through that other world, what's going to come through that that thinned veil yeah. during that time of year. With you know, that's summoned. and and it wasn't and and when we talk about spirits, I mean, we are talking about fairies goblins you know things like that like coming through and being and having more of a hold in our world and being more um tangible and being able to like exercise more you know influence on our world so that's what the spookiness comes from it, it was a, it would have been a, a scary time um but also you know the festival and the sense of community would have helped you feel more uh reinforced against it yeah yes like Taking on the veil together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, because you think, you know, it's like fairies, goblins, ghosts, you know, all this shit. So you can kind of start to see those, why that spooky, you know, why why the spooky nature of Halloween is the way it is. I wasn't thinking of ghosts and stuff. I was actually thinking of those giant monsters that come through the sky and that in Pacific Rim, the dinosaur (laughs) monsters, that's what I was picturing. You know, I never saw Pacific Rim, so. Oh, they're. I know you know what they're called, though. Uh, is it is it kaiju? Is that the word I'm thinking of? Is kaiju? Something. It's something like that. I think it's. I think it's Japanese. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not coming. This to is mind gonna right get now. you your your big comments online. They're gonna be angry that I didn't know this word. Nice, and they're gonna be angry that I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we're kind of getting towards the end here. Um, When Christianity reached Ireland in the 5th century CE, (laughs) as we all know, the Catholic Church used existing festivals, celebrations, and beliefs to help convert the pagans. They would paint up these pagan traditions in a veneer of Christian connotations. So when the church used Samhain to convert the Celts, they called it All Saints Day and tried to move it to May 13th. So when that provided ineffective in their conversion efforts, they moved it back to November or they moved it to November 1st. So around Mm. the same time. Which I didn't even know what that was. So, yeah, it seems it seems like it's just a bastardization of Sawin. Interesting. You know, I for as long ago as that happened, I would have expected that we would be celebrating All Saints Day instead. So I think that's got to be a testament to the importance of this ritual and what it means to people. Like Halloween, Samhain, whatever you want to call it. Like this is an, yeah. I mean, this is some of us's favorite holiday and why not? <laughs> like we, we catch a lot of heat for it from, from more religious folk yeah. about it being the devil. And it's just like, nah, man, it's just like iron costumes. Yeah, I think this popularity also kind of like lends itself to the, you know, more secularizing of the world. 
Christianity's not having such a fucking fucking claws in the back of your head kind of. Yeah, I I did read recently that uh, religion worldwide is on a decline. So that's an interesting mm. state of human affairs, is it not? Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. We'll see what happens on <laughs> the next episode. Gilead, the founding. <laughs> so you know these obviously Christianity tried to sort of stranglehold the pagan roots of it, but we see the practices and traditions persist in many ways. Things that we now associate with Halloween, like costumes, going door to door, carving pumpkins, which would have actually started in the 19th century. It would have been turnips and not pumpkins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the first jack-o'-lantern mm-hmm. thing, and I was like, that is not a fucking pumpkin. Oh, yeah. It's scary looking. I don't know, it's not the I first. Know, it's cool it like as fuck. from a long time. It ago, looks it is awesome. Scary looking. We I should know. make turnip heads. I love it. Next Halloween. should definitely <laughs> do that. Yeah, because pumpkins, pumpkins yeah. are from... The Americas, correct? The Americas, yeah. I believe. Yep, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, North America got gourds on gourds on gourds on gourds. All the gourds you could ever want. All kinds of gourds. Carrying gourds, eating gourds. All the gourds. Sleeping gourds. <laughs> yeah, like seriously. like <laughs> Squash, pumpkins, gourds. So, you know, yeah, the things like costumes, going door to door, carving pumpkins, or even the presence of spirits and otherworldly beings all transformed over time into what we know today. So in America, this tradition was brought over by Irish and Scottish immigrants. And though commercialization may have dampened the ancient roots of this holiday, maybe in some unconscious way, it connects us to another time and place and to those traditions and beliefs from so long ago. Oh, that's how I feel. That's what I get out of Halloween, especially after this episode, now that I know I'm like super directly connected. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and as i as i said a couple times I, I wish i could have you know talked a little bit more about certain things and, and there's a lot more to it but uh you know i believe that's a pretty accurate um, summary of of it Sawin. 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 Yeah, I've I've heard people say uh, Samhain or Samhain. Um, Nobody knows. You know, again, I I I I chalk that up to those linguistic. I would like to know if there's anybody who speaks Gaulish or Gaelic or something who could clear that up for us. That would be super cool. Send us an email. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna trust anybody in Ireland. Although I'm sure I'll probably get like a bunch of people from different parts of the island who are just like, no, it's actually like this. No, it's actually like this. Uh, it's, we have that problem in America and we all speak the same kind of stupid English. Yeah. No, it's like that for a reason. Sorry, I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to call it stupid or didn't mean to call it stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. The Europeans definitely know how we talk. Speak? See? See? I talk, I talk good. <laughs> I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for joining me for this. Um, Super fun. I wish Heather yeah. and Kate would have been here. But yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, I'm not going to plug any of our stuff. People probably already know where to find us. So I'm going to lend it to you. Do you have um, anything? What's going on with them? What's going on with you Emily? Follow me on Instagram, a dog hair sweater. Uh, you can uh, also look out for episodes that will be, what do you call it, like a sneak peek releasing on Under the Pendulum's um platform and you'll see that from time to time until it's 
all up and running and then hopefully you can join us for the big real thing and that'll be sharp rocks and dead things and you will be able to find us wherever pods are potting and social meds are meeting or whatever absolutely and 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 you know sharp rocks and dead things is an anthropology 101 podcast where we actually kind of kind of do this we we you know, picks different subjects yeah, and places it's and times. Like, definitely mm-hmm. trying to be very informative, but it is really fun. And uh, we also try to keep it a little cleaner than this show so you can enjoy it with all the members yeah. of your family. <laughs> yeah, le- less fucks and, and, and weird kind of yeah, gross noises. Definitely. We try to be très profesh. I learned that <laughs> in... Uh, French class in rural Iowa in high school. It's definitely French. Definitely. You're so cool. <laughs> you're, so, you're so you're so learned. You're so learned. I am learned. I am. You are learned. Well, thanks a lot, Emily. Um, I hope everyone out there had a fantastic Halloween, and um, we'll be back with yeah. another episode. And we'll Stay see you spooky, next time. My fellow French German Americans. I'm afraid of spooky.